Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. How are you guys doing this morning? Man, we can't sing songs like that and then uh, just not be loud. Um, you know, so when you're talking about the God forever and the God forevermore, um, that's amazing. So we want to continue that um, in the God of power. Now we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. So if you got your scripts, that means Bible, um, turn in your Bible to that particular text. And we'll also have on the, uh, on the screen right behind me, it's right there. I just love this particular piece of scripture and just how it just flows down. It's awesome. So we're going to talk about the God of power. And as we talk about the God of power, we get to, uh, we get to rest in the reality that God in himself is power because he's the definition of power. A lot of different people claim to have certain powers. Um, you know, we can look at the Avengers. We can look at all these different types of you know, comic books, and every person has a particular type of power. Um, and all of us are really scared if you're a comic book fan of the Avengers movie with Thanos, because this dude is showing some amazing power. But not even the comic book characters in our imaginations can even fathom the reality of God's true power. So with that being said, let's pray before we jump into God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your wisdom. God, we pray that as you are the God of power, that you would bless this church, that you would bless her pastor, that you would bless the people, that this church would continue to not just grow numerically in the sense of disciples, but that they would continue to grow deeper into intimacy with you and who you are in the work that you have called them to here in this city of Seattle. We pray that you, God of power, would birth something special because we know that it's not a fancy logo, it's not technology, it's not a website or an app that births a church. It is your spirit. It is your power. So we pray, God, to those ends that you would birth a new community, wider and deeper here in Seattle. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're, we're in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 8. Now, I want you to understand something in Matthew, as, uh, as I'm just going to be taking this particular section. It's just, a, it's just a short snippet. Now, chronologically, all these different things that are happening in this book are actually not chronological. So the healings, um, the calling of disciples, um, all these different miracles are actually not in chronological order. So this is pretty much just like one of those movies that they just start writing stuff and you start seeing certain images. And then once um, it's all done, they all will put it together and then you will see this beautiful tapestry in Masterpiece. So this beautiful tapestry and masterpiece that God is painting through his word is that Jesus is the king and that Jesus is the Lord of all. 
We come to a point in this scripture, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, where it is known as the boat won't go down. That's roughly translated in my translation. In your Bible, it might say like the wind and waves obey Jesus or Jesus calms the storm. So I get that. I understand that. But this commentators write this about this particular section in Matthew chapter eight uh, or in the in the, actually the whole book of Matthew. It says Jesus's miracles may be divided into the last three, uh, the, these three general classes, healings, exorcisms, Nat the nature of miracles, uh, raising of the dead, which is a subcategory or a separate category in itself. Matthew will focus on each types of these miracles here as a demonstration that the kingdom of God has arrived. You ever like got into a fight or see someone got in a fight? They say, I'm going to bring some friends. Jesus is saying he brought some people and it was himself that the kingdom of God has truly arrived. But Jesus, his messianic mission will not unfold as many have expected. First, he's going to heal the marginalized. He's going to disappoint current discipleship expectations. He's going to overpower Satan's strongholds, including nature, demons, and disease. Then he will reveal an unexpected form of discipleship. Heal the unexpected and enlist the workers to go out with the messianic authority to extend his mission, end quote. I love what the commentators say because that is a beautiful picture of the reality of what happens when the kingdom of God invades the earth. No more sickness, no more death. He turns chaos into shalom. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And those who follow Jesus, the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth, follow him and they worship him. This is the passage of scripture where we see Jesus subvert the power structure that sin causes in creation to disobey its original design of peace and shalom. If we remember back into the book of Genesis, when God made everything in Genesis chapter one, it says that God spoke to the formless void that actually was in chaos. And God spoke to it with one word. And the chaos was peace. Now, fast forward to Matthew. This is Jesus, the word of God, the logos, the verbal word of God. So when it says in Genesis that God spoke and then something happened, creation happened, it came from the words of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here we have this beautiful picture of waves and wind, chaos, turmoil, destruction. A picture painted again in Genesis. So as we look at this text, Matthew 8, 23 through 27 says this. As he got into the boat, that would be Jesus, the disciples followed him. And then suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus just kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up saying, see, this is where you got to get real with the text. We can't just read these, these scriptures and just be like, oh, and then the disciples said to him. No, it says, do you guys read what we just read in verse 24? 
Put yourself in the position. You just following this dude who's claiming to be Jesus. He's asking you to follow him. You get in this boat. He's doing all these crazy miracles. You get in the boat. The dude is asleep as waves are rushing over the boat and the wind is going crazy. So we don't read this text. The disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. We read it saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. And he, Jesus, said to him, said to them, why are you afraid? You of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed. Yes, they were. They were amazed. And they asked, what kind of man is this? Who is this dude? Roughly translated. Even the winds in the sea obey him. I want to look at another verse. I'm just going to read them. It says this in Psalm 107, 29. He stilled the storm to a whisper and the waves of the seas were hushed. Psalm 89, 9. You rule the raging sea when it waves, when the waves surge, you still them. Psalm 65, 7. You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves in the tumult of nations. Roughly translated, God is a God of power. Amen. God is a God of power that he has the absolute authority that with one word, all things must submit underneath his lordship because he owns everything because he made it. If you were to make a song and you were to steal or take, Christian words is called gleaning, um, if you were to take some song lyrics or a piece of a song and put it into your song without the proper uh, conversations with the original people who composed it and made it, you would get into big trouble because you are actually taking intellectual property and using it for profit, which they have not agreed to because they want part of their cut. So how is it that we seek to, as created beings, get royalties off of God's creation? God said, I own everything. I own the royalties. I have the blueprint because all things were made by him. Verse 23, following Jesus. This is just a corny joke, but I love how it says, and the disciples followed him into where? A boat. We have discipleship literally happening right now. you got a discipleship. Now, Jesus intended to go this route, and the disciples followed him there. That's what we do as disciples. We follow Jesus, our master, our Lord, wherever he goes. Jesus knows what he is doing and where he is going. This shows us here in the text that discipleship or joining Jesus on his journey is not always easy because it causes us to follow him into places that must require our trust in knowing that he is present always. In verse 24 and 25, they say, wake up, Jesus. Well, why is Jesus sleeping? 
Jesus is sleeping from ministry. He has been living out the mission that he was called to do by his father to proclaim liberty to the captives, to those who are in bondage and in sin. He was called to heal the sick and give life to the dead. We see Jesus multiple times gives life to dead people, but those people will die again. That was only revivification. But we will experience something called resurrection, never to die again. To live eternally for all those who are in Christ. Well, people say, well, well, how can Jesus really be God if he's sleeping? Isn't it if we're talking about this God of power, then why do we need to take a nap? Well, in Jesus' incarnation, in God becoming a man, in God becoming flesh, God who was pre-existent, Jesus, the pre-existent one, one of the third people of the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Spirit, in this tri-unity, in this oneness, in who God is, God the Father sends the Son. The Son dies for the people who God sent him to die for. And then the Holy Spirit resurrects Jesus and brings brand new life into those who put their faith and surrender their trust in him, never to die but to live forever. But then to be equipped with power. The word power in Acts chapter, uh, in Acts chapter 1, 8, when it says that the, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit becomes upon you, it is the word used that we know as dynamite. So bam, that is the power that God gives all of his children. It is his very own power. The power to follow, the power to perfectly to have obedience, the power to resist sin, the power to raise from the dead. Not we ourselves, like lay hands on ourselves and then just like pliggity cloud, just boom, I'm awake. No, but the Spirit of God will resurrect us. So Jesus in his incarnation, he is not 50% man and he is not 50% God. He is 100% man and he is 100% God. The man in Jesus is tired from the non-tired, eternal, divine power continually being used to heal, to raise people from the dead, and to wreck shop and wreak havoc on Satan's uh, power structures of sin and decay on his good and perfect creation. That's why he's tired. But even in Jesus' tiredness, he still uses his divine power to save his disciples. Just after serving people, people after people after people who've been seeking him out. What an encouragement it is to know that God's power never runs out in that there is and always will be power that will be working on your behalf when you're tired. He's not tired because this is the God of power. God is personal. And he's always at work on your behalf. Sometimes it may seem like this text in our lives personally. We feel like we're in the boat of life. Things are going crazy. Chaos is ensuing. Failures, difficulties, financial hardships, losses, insecurities, instabilities. And we're sitting there saying, God, save us. I'm dying out here, and I feel like you ain't even talking to me. 
I feel like you sleep. But here's the reality. Sometimes it may seem that God has fallen asleep at the helm of your life. But God is eternally woke. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. If you want to talk about wokeness, God is a God who is always woke, eternally woke. He is the advocate who forever intercedes for us on behalf of us. He is our paralegal. He is our heavenly lawyer who gives, gets us off the eternal punishment on our court case because he pays the penalty. Sometimes it may seem like God is asleep, but he's not. He is eternally interceding on behalf of his beloved children. Did you know that if you're in Christ, you are a beloved child? You know, so it's just one thing in to go into a courtroom, know that you have a violation, that you are on trial, knowing that you're guilty and you're about to get your sentence. And because of Jesus, you are free from your penalty. That's crazy. That's called justification. That now you are justified. You are declared innocent by the blood of Jesus, by the advocacy of the ultimate paralegal, Jesus Christ. You are set free never to do any time whatsoever. He's not going to shame you. He's not going to make you repay him back for what he did for you. None of that. That's, that's great, right? But then it goes one step deeper. Imagine if in that eternal courtroom, you have just been justified. You've been acquitted of all things. But yet the judge decides to take you home and to give you everything that he has. That's the difference between justification and adoption. We are justified in Christ, but then we are adopted into the family to have the family name to receive all the benefits that are in Christ. Beloved children. Beloved children, beloved children, that's who we are in Christ. So to be with him in this boat, when you look at verse 26, Jesus asks them, why are you afraid? So I will even ask you this question. In your times of difficulty, of the waves of life crashing into your boat and drowning you, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Remember, the people that Jesus picked, some of these cats was fishermen. Cats means people. Um, sorry, yesterday I asked somebody if they had a whip because um, they were going to meet me somewhere. And he said, a whip? Like, this is getting kind of weird, bro. Um, and I was like, a whip, a, a car. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. So that's what cats means. So these disciples, these cats, so he grabs these dudes and he says, follow me. And they follow him. But something that I want you to understand is that Peter, James, and John were all fishermen. So these men were all fishermen. They have been on a boat and they have seen some things. They have seen waves. They have seen storms on the sea. So it's not unnormal or unnatural for a little waves to be rocking the boat a little bit, right? But no, not this kind of storm. This is a crazy storm. So much so, in verse 24, it says a violent storm in certain translations. I don't know what it uh, said um, on, on, in your translations. In mine, it says violent storm. In Greek, this is the word megas, 
which is where we get our word mega or like megabytes or metropolis or megaphone. Like when it says violent storm, it means boom, like you are going to die. That is the type of storm that it's talking about. This is why we got to read the Bible and put ourselves here and we got to see what's really going on. A violent storm. The word storm in Greek is called seismos, which we know when we have seismic activity, what does that mean? Earthquake. So we are talking mega violent, big as a city, metropolis type of storm with the waves shaking. So rightly so, three fishermen who do this by trade, they freaked out. I'd be freaked out. You would be freaked out. What does this, what does this show us? This shows us that this severe storm in the text is so much so that even professionals who had been doing it for their whole lives were absolutely terrified. You see, following Jesus, there's going to be some things that you think your resume qualifies you for, but it actually has not prepared you for what Jesus is really calling you to, to follow him. In following Jesus, we can't and won't be allowed to rely on our resume, but solely upon the resume of Christ, which is a God of power. That we are dependent and he is the uncaused creator, independent of dependence. Let me say that again, that God is the uncaused creator who is independent of dependence. He needs no help. He never sleeps. He never loses power. He never loses anything. That is the God of re the resume that we can only trust in. I dare not trust in anything than Christ alone, the cornerstone, weak, made strong in the Savior's love. That's who we are in Christ, made strong, not because of our resume, but because his resume of perfect obedience, sinless, counts for ours. Disobedient, unloving. Jesus's, Jesus's work counts for ours. So what does that mean for us? You're free. No more performing. No more trying hard. Following Jesus means that you're safe in him. Now, that doesn't mean you won't endure bumpy, choppy rides of crazy seismic activity on his boat of discipleship. Man, I'm going to coin that. That's tight, man. I never heard it before until now. Discipleship. I like that. But in verse 25, remembers that the disciples, they woke him up and they said, Lord, this means master. This word means master. Um, person who is over, owner, um, guardian. This is what this word means. So think about it. The ways the wind is owning is being master over them. But then they call upon the master. So when you think that these things in your life are seeking to master you, do what the disciples did and say, Lord, save us. You will not be mastered by the one who cannot master the ultimate master. The master of the universe. We can cry out to him. We can cry out to him and he will protect us. 
Verse 27, what kind of a man is this? Well, I'll tell you what kind of a man he is. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All these things have been created through him and what? For him. He owns the royalties. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. That's why it's good news for you guys. Jesus will build his church because he got this thing on lock. He will do his work. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might become the first place in everything. Some of your translations may say preeminent. For God was pleased to have all of the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So who is this man that can just speak to the waves in the storms and say, shut up? <laughs> who is this man that can raise people from the dead? Who is this man that can... Take a withered hand that was deformed and make it whole. Who is this man or what kind of man is this that can speak to a person who is possessed or a person that is um, has been uh, very heavily injured mentally? Who is this man or what kind of man is this? It's the man who created all things. So he got the blueprint. He know how everything is supposed to work. For some reason, people always ask me, how do you work this this TV remote? because they know I use it a lot. So they know that if something's wrong with the TV, they ask me. So if something's wrong in creation, who do we go to? We go to God, because he made it. He is the Lord over all things. God is, he is the God of creation. He is the only man who can declare for these things to happen because he is God. He is God of power. With just one word, the logos, the word, can halt any storm and heal anything in any of our lives. In our fear, some of us think like the disciples and we lack faith. Yet even in our doubt, the God of the universe invites us to trust him, to surrender our trust to him, knowing that even our doubt is not strong enough to stop his irresistible, never-ending, forever-going love for us. That he will never leave you nor forsake you because he's the one that called you. We love him because he, what? First loved us. If you are in Christ, wherever he goes, you go. And wherever you go, he goes. That was like a toy growing up. My buddy, you remember that toy? Some of you guys are like, you guys don't know what this? I made the mistake of singing the song last time, and it just didn't go well, so I'm not going to sing the song. But basically, it just says, my buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes. That's, that's what happens when you are in Christ, and Christ in you, when you are one with him. You go where he goes. He goes where you go. In Christ, 
If you die physically, you still live eternally because Jesus, the God man, conquered death and will not even let death have the final word for you. Because the final word for you in Christ is forgiven. Life forever. He is the God of power. No scheme of hell, no plan of man has the power to conquer the master of masters, the God of all gods, because there is no other God except him. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the God of power. And as we land the plane here, I want you to see this. Look in verse 24. You put one finger there, and then you put your other finger in verse 26. Remember we just said that this violent storm, this megas, this megas seismos was violent and crazy. If you contrast it with verse 26, it says the words, the great and calm, or he calmed the, 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 the storm. This word great means megas. And then the word calm means stillness. So you see right here with the same violence, the same ridiculous craziness that creation sought to kill these disciples. God, with very word, when he rebuked it, used the same power to make it still. That's when we're supposed to be saying, amen, amen. God is the God of power. He says, you know what? Even creation as it has been undertaken by sin, you won't have power over me. I made you. You work for me. I don't work for you. God does not work for us like an employee. God doesn't hire employees. He adopts children. So you can't punch in your time card because he doesn't accept it. He doesn't accept overtime. You are a child if you be in him. In the same violence that sin has caused in your life, the things that are seeking to overtake you, whether you're in them now, you will be going in them soon, as is the way life is. You'll know that the God of heaven, that the God of power with one word can speak and stop it, that he is with you. Today, you can know this God of power. I can't help but think about the movie Castaway when I read this text. The waves, when he tries to get off the island. But I want you to realize this, that even in your doubt, your doubt is not strong enough to repel the strong wind and waves of God's grace that is about to rock your life in your discipleship. So much so that the grace of God will rock you so hard that you will be washed up on the shores of his grace and you will be drinking from the eternal coconut of living water and you will have an eternal home forever with him, a best friend that you can talk to forever. That goes everywhere with you go. That is the God of power. This is the God that we worship. He will speak peace to your chaos, and he will do that work in your life. This text is about Jesus' lordship over all things, over creation, over those things subject that Satan would seek to have rule over. 
But let me tell you today, friends, Satan does not have rule over you because he does not own you. Sin should no longer be your master. It should no longer be my master because my master is the one when I say, Lord, save me. He does it because I am his. He first loved me and that is why we love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I'm just so blown away that this is so nuts that you would um, even seek to just come and, and be with us. That you would be a God to, to seek to come and give grace to people who um, have sinned against you. But you are a God of love and you invite all of us to dine with you at your table of grace. So that we might sit there and recline at the table, knowing that we will be ever, forever fed and we are always in good community. God, I pray that anything that I said that would be unhelpful for any friends today, that you would remove it. And that they would get the distilled truth of your grace. And that they would feel it. That it would be weighty. And that it would be their anchor of hope. Lord, we sang unstoppable God. You are unstoppable, but yet you come near to love us in tangible ways. Protect us, God. Protect us from the evil one. Lord, we're all going through something. We've all got some kind of storm going on in our life. But I pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace by the power of your Holy Spirit to call upon you, Lord, to not have a little faith in you. But we know that it doesn't depend on how much faith we have. It's based on who our faith is in. And it's you, God. Protect us, God. Give us grace. Help us to enjoy life knowing that we follow you. We're yours. We're safe. We're secure. We're accepted. We're protected. Would you do that for us? Not for our name's sake, but for your name's sake. In the name of your son, Jesus, who is preeminent, who is firstborn over all things, God. We say amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.